Do you want to experience the thrill of a Packers game at Lambeau Field? If so, be sure to get your game tickets from the longtime trusted source in Wisconsin, Ticket King. Visit their locations in Milwaukee and Green Bay or just go to their website, theticketking.com. Again, that's theticketking.com. Our listeners can save 10% off of all Ticket King's already low prices on Packers tickets by using the code PT10 when they order at theticketking.com. Offer expires August 31st. Again, that is PT10. That's the code you want to enter at checkout to get 10% off your Packers tickets. You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. My co-host is my good friend, Gil Martin. In addition to this show, I host Cheese and Packers, and Gil is the host of Locked On NHL. He also writes for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Gil, a week from now, we are going to be breaking down the Minnesota Vikings and previewing week one game but in uh preparation for that we decided to revisit the 49ers loss uh from the divisional round don't touch the dial yet hang on (laughs) and what we are doing is we are analyzing what lessons we think the packers learned from last year and what they have done in the off season to address those lessons. And we're going to ask a couple of questions. One is how did they do at um, uh, learning from the lessons and trying to um, achieve their off season goals? That's one of the questions. Another is going to be, do we think they learned the right lesson from last year? So, Gil, do you think I did a good job of summarizing uh, what you and I have spent the last two hours talking about? <laughs> yeah, I think you did. Uh, it, this sounds like a therapy session almost, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you find it therapeutic to rewatch the uh, 49ers game? I did not. I did not. It was more painful than therapeutic. I will say that. It wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't fun either. I, I, admittedly, I did not rewatch the defense part because... I still feel like I remember how well the defense dominated and obviously the offense and special teams were the things that needed to be revisited because those are the areas where we failed. Um, so we are going to spend a few minutes kind of reliving just kind of what, what, what went wrong in that game and what the Packers looked like the last time we saw them play a game. Uh, to me, preseason games don't count when you're trying to figure out who is the team right now. I mean, the, you know, the, the team that trotted out on the field for these three preseason games, very different group of guys, uh, very different um, plan and mentality than what we're going to see week one against the Vikings. Um, and so this is going to be our first time uh, here in a little over a week figuring out what the 2022 Packers look like. So, um, Gil, at what point in the 49ers game did you feel like the tide turned? When do you think the game really was lost? Not not when the scoreboard said it was, but at what point 
do you think was like the uh, the the turning point? Because they started out super strong. Packers mm-hmm. marched down the field, scored a touchdown. Defense came out. Zadarius gets a sack, and you you just think, man, they're really rolling. And we had a lot of questions about the team coming into that game. A lot of questions. Um, uh, we were kind of frustrated with the decisions they had made at the offensive line that day. Um, uh, the the defense had been inconsistent at best rolling into this game for several weeks and offensively uh, they had not looked great against the lions, but it had a fantastic start and the defense never gave up. They never looked bad throughout the whole day. So what in your mind was the turning point? I, I have an individual play that I think turned the tide, but what was it for you? I also have an individual play that I think, was a big difference maker as far as momentum and the way the game was going. And that's the Mercedes Lewis fumble. All right. The, the way that you built it up and talked about momentum, I knew that you were saying that. And that's the exact same play I had. I think the Mercedes Lewis fumble, not that we're blaming Mercedes, but you know, I mean, at, so at that point, Mercedes like comes out of the game. I, I don't remember if he goes back in at that point or if, or if uh, LaFleur just benched him, but that really was a huge turning point. Um, in terms of leading up to there, don't forget, we didn't know how much Jimmy Garoppolo was even going to play in this game. There was a big question of, of if he was going to be able to play. Uh, the 49ers hadn't looked great against the Cowboys the week before. We go down, uh, punch the ball in for a touchdown. Defense comes out and just shuts him down. We're back on the field. We're driving down into 49ers territory. And you have the opportunity to go up 14-0. And the Niners are really reeling. They're just uh, stumbling back on their on their heels. Uh, they've gotten hit in the mouth twice now, both by the offense and by the defense. And then Mercedes coughs up the ball. And it seemed to, I think, settle some nerves for the Niners. And... Seemed like they got some confidence. It was a little bit of like, if you can make, uh, if you can make God believe that uh, bleed, then people will stop believing in him, right? And <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, no, no, the Packers have a hard time getting out of their own way, and we can see that they're human. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for me of the Packers in in, in a way that they so often did throughout the twenty twenty one season and let's be honest, a bunch of other seasons leading up to that, just couldn't get out of their own way. I, I look at it this way. You're up 7 nothing. You score on the first drive. The 49ers went three plays for minus 11 yards on their first drive. They punt. Green Bay gets the ball back. They're moving down the field. You even kick a field goal there, uh, and it's 10 nothing. and the yep. momentum is way there for the Packers, but because of that turnover, all of a sudden the 49ers were sticking around and it was a one score game and it stayed a one score game all the way into the third quarter uh, where it got even closer. You know, to me, that's when you knew San Francisco wasn't going away. Green Bay wasn't going to come in and dominate. And all of a sudden the underdog had a fighter's chance. So looking at uh, the biggest contributing factors, 
and and I don't think that the fumble was a contributing factor to the loss, other than it swung the momentum, right? And and um, created some room where you had to be a little bit more perfect. You couldn't have all these mistakes. So many mistakes were made throughout this game, and and I think, um, I think the debate is never going to be settled. <laughs> of <laughs> was it the right decision to bench Yash Nyman? and start Billy Turner at left tackle his first game back after not even practicing at left tackle. Uh, he's missed what six games um, due to injury uh, was practicing at right tackle. And then on game day, they decided to switch him over to left tackle. I don't know why. Um, I, I think, I think in our game preview, we even talked about it and said something like, Oh, they would never do that. Would they? Because that's <laughs> stupid. I, I think we had that conversation. It was deja vu all over again after the year before. Oh, it's horrific. And then Dennis Kelly at right tackle, who had not been, you know, and here's the thing. He had been playing some right tackle for us in uh, Billy Turner's absence. You had Yash and uh, Kelly. They were they were holding their own at left and right tackle. And I think that the logic that went into this was let's not shake things up because we think that Dennis Kelly and Billy Turner are both better football players than Yash Nyman. And so we want them both on the field. And Dennis is not as good as Billy, and we don't want to shake up momentum um, that he has over at right tackle. So let's we we think Billy is really versatile. Let's stick him at left tackle. That clearly was the rationale, and I, I think neither of us agreed with that decision going in. No, we did not. And you know the the Packers always say they're looking to get their best five out there. I think they felt like you know, that was the best five, but they ended up not having anyone who was effective at left tackle. And it really came back to bite them. You know, there was, there was optimism about the fact that we were getting Josh Myers back, but that meant they put Lucas Patrick over at right guard bench Royce Newman, who had been playing better football over the last few weeks than he had all year was actually playing like one of our best offensive linemen at the time. Uh, and I, Lucas Patrick, I think, did not have uh, the greatest game at right guard there, Um, was not playing uh, as well as he had been at center for the previous few weeks. Uh, His pass blocking grade was just a 36. Uh, Quite, quite bad. Um, Let's see who else. Nobody else along the offensive line really had a horrific uh, pass blocking grade. Uh, You had uh, the the receivers had a bad day um, across the board. We'll, we'll talk about them as pass catchers, but as blockers, really, we're, we're struggling. Patrick Taylor was out there. He had a 20 pass blocking grade. Uh, let's see. Josiah DeGuara had a bad blocking grade. Um, let's see. EQ had a bad uh, run blocking grade. And then, um, of course, we can't forget the injury to A.J. Dillon on special teams that led to the uh, one thing that was actually working for the offense suddenly getting neutered. There's no run game at that point either. Right. And you're trying to protect the lead and all of a sudden in a cold, partially snowy day, your best in between the tackles runner isn't available. Well, and Devonte Adams was the only uh, receiving player who had uh, more than uh, one reception. I believe he's uh, certainly the only non running back to touch the ball more than once. He had, uh, 11 targets, nine receptions, all other wide receivers and tight ends had six targets and two receptions for six yards and one first down. 
pretty brutal. Yeah, it, it was not a pretty situation. And, you know, Aaron Jones had 10 targets and then nobody else had more than two. And the, the two targets were was Dominique Daphne. Everyone else had one or zero. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we were critical of and a lot of people were, we felt like the play calling was way too conservative. And LaFleur was not stretching the field. Uh, was not making things hard on the 49ers defense. And yeah, you were missing MBS because he had gotten hurt in that uh, meaningless Lions game. But you had other bodies on the roster who could go out and stretch the field, maybe just not quite as speedily as MBS could. But I think this is a situation where you at least have to. So it's a little bit like how the analytics community will tell you that it doesn't necessarily matter how well you run the ball uh, to set up the pass. It just matters that you run the ball to set up mm-hmm. the pass. And, and I think that the same thing applies here too, is you have to have, you have to put a deep threat out there. Even if it's not one of your better players, you have to have somebody stretching the field so that it stretches the field so that the defense is forced to not triple uh, team Devante and crowd the line of scrimmage and be sitting in Aaron Rodgers lap all day. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's almost like Matt LaFleur put out this lineup and then didn't have confidence in it. And his yeah. play calling reflected that lack of confidence. And that, you know, you can't do it both ways. If, if you're going to put out what you feel is your best lineup, then you've got to call a game that maximizes the talent of the players you've got out there. And it almost seemed like, he was playing, he was play calling scared. He was play calling to, to, to cite the cliche, not to lose rather than to win. And, and that I think maybe is where the Mercedes Lewis fumble sticks out a bit like a sore thumb, you know, and you look at, we already talked about the, um, the AJ Dillon injury and the, the impact that it had the, the first half, the running backs seemed like they were going to have just a really big game. The the biggest play of the day, Aaron Jones had 75 yards um, on one play over the, the entire night though, both running backs combined for less than three and a half yards per attempt, which is pretty staggering. Yeah. And again, I think you got to also revisit the play calling and the offensive line. When you look at that, you had a rebuilt or re rejiggered offensive line. And not only did they suffer with the pass protection, but the run blocking wasn't so good either. The run blocking was a problem all year. Right. But, but it was even worse. I think in this playoff game, you weren't getting push. And, and then you sort of, again, go back to the injury to AJ Dillon. Dillon is the guy who can make two or three yards more easily with no hole there than Jones is you didn't have him, So that made it even worse. All right. Last thing uh, before we wrap up our, our game review, just, just looking at the offensive line one last time, they gave up 13 pressures total and the tackles alone gave up eight pressures. And you look at uh, the, the blocked field goal. No, sorry. The blocked punt that uh, most people view as being like the end of the game. Well, what led to that was a third and eight sack to Aaron Rodgers, who we haven't really talked about him very much. He didn't have his best game. Um, He was playing scared the way he frequently does 
when a um, opposing defensive line like the Niners is in his lap all day. Um, totally didn't see wide open guys. You know, you can, you can criticize the Packers receivers all you want, but then you also have to assign blame to the fact that they got open sometimes and the ball didn't come their way and the ball went into triple coverage to Devontae anyways. So he locked in. He absolutely locked into Tay. So let's look at what we think the big takeaways from this game uh, and this season were. Because if you got uh, the special teams was a disaster. The uh, receivers were insufficient at the end of the year. The offensive line was a sieve. And then um, really the defense shown in a way that I Gil, I think it's fair to characterize this. We would both say that the defense last year was not special, but it gave you glimmers of how it could be special this year. And it seemed like a major, one of the biggest um, things that the, the Packers front office has decided to do over the course of this off season is build around the defense and really try and make that the focal point of the Packers this year. I think that there is a way you could look at things where yes, the face of the franchise is Aaron Rodgers, but maybe now it's Aaron Rodgers and Rashawn Gary, whereas it was Aaron Rodgers and Devante. Now it's Aaron Rodgers and, and Rashawn Gary, you know, and you, you look at uh, just what a leader Rashawn is. And, and I think that he's really poised for a season that, Look, last year was a fantastic season, but people weren't paying attention. This might be the season that people pay attention. Uh, and, and if he can replicate his success from last year, I think it would be very fitting as the, the front office has tried to, to build around the defense. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing is, especially with defensive players, very often the the accolades, the Pro Bowl recognition, the reputation of being one of the best in the game is delayed by a year or two because with the exception of sacks, there's not a lot of statistics for edge rushers. Right. So, you know, and, and Gary had one of the best pressure rates in the league, but he didn't always convert them into sacks. Now, nine and a half sacks is nothing to sneeze at, but you get into 10, 12, 13 sacks, and then all of a sudden, I think he'll get that recognition as being elite. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely accurate. Do, do we think that this decision to build around the defense is a good one. And before you answer, I want to throw out two things. The first is, did we see enough from the defense last year to make you think that this defense really can be the driving factor of a Super Bowl contending team in 2022? And uh, number two, well, go ahead and a answer number one first. I think we saw the potential. Uh, and I think... What we saw was that with a few tweaks, with the right steps, this defense had the potential to be an elite defense in this league. And, you know, the way they played in the playoff game, the way they played, what was it, a few games midseason, I think around right. the Seattle game, which was their right. best performance, we saw that potential. And now they have to do it consistently well in order to get it done. Okay, so part two of this question is, do we think they did a good enough job of building around the defense? Yes, they spent two first-round picks on the defense this year. Um, I think that you probably would look at Devontae Wyatt as a little bit more of a de developmental addition, uh, a, a guy with extremely blazing high upside. 
and uh, you know, but he's he defensive line is one of the hardest positions to learn and and to get really good at. And he is in the back of a very crowded room of some good guys. Uh, Quay Walker, probably more of a, a, a immediate impact type of player. But outside of him, not a ton of additions. You had Jaron Reed, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt were kind of the, the additions this year. And you're mostly looking at, do we think that the boost you're going to get from year two in this system, year two of Joe Barry, um, year two of all these guys that we were able to bring back together, working together, do you think it was enough um, to to validate the attempt that was made to build around the defense? Uh, I think that given the the constraints that the team had yeah i think they did what they could and i think the turning point for building around the defense was when they had to trade devonte adams that allowed them to bring back rasul douglas and devondre campbell and that that i think was the moment they said you know what we have to build around this defense i think that's fair i think you look at at the resources that were freed up by that trade that allowed them to bring back Rasul Douglas, Devondre Campbell, Robert Tunyon, uh, trying to think who else uh, we were able to bring back and pay that what that were completely just going to be gone off the roster. Not to mention the uh, draft picks that we got out of it. You know, Quay, I think we're expecting Quay Walker to be a big impact and Devonte Wyatt to be a face of the defense in a few years. Uh, Jaron Reed, I think maybe is a guy that we couldn't have paid had we paid Devonte. Uh, um. Plus, there were guys that we thought might get cut. Preston Smith, we thought probably was going to be gone, uh, but we were able to retain him because we didn't have to pay uh, Devontae. It, yeah, that definitely made a big difference and allowed the defense to be the focal point of the rebuilding. I think, I think one of the lasting impacts of this game, this uh, 49ers loss, is it, it kind of... Uh, puts the final period at the end of the first chapter of the Matt LaFleur era in green Bay. You look at 2019 was like the install of what he was trying to do. 2020 it's go time. You've got this super stacked roster, an unstoppable offense. They march all the way down to within an inch of the super bowl. And then 2021 Although I didn't agree with this decision, the decision was made, look, we were so close a year ago. We were good enough. Let's just bring everybody back, hang the cost. This is this is uh, probably our, our last guaranteed year with Aaron Rodgers. Hang the cost. We'll burn the, uh, burn the boats and spend tomorrow's money, bring everybody back, and just run it all back one more time in 2021. Same exact team that we had in 2020. And it didn't work. And I think got them the number one seed again. Yeah. You know, and I think you, you look at like the, in 2019, I don't, they were not supposed to be that good in 2019. They were, they certainly got a little bit lucky, but also I think they were good by accident at some times. I think, you know, they got all the way to the NFC championship game. And I'm not going to say it was undeserved because they did work hard for it and they did deserve to be there, but were they the second best team in the NFC that year? I don't think so. I think that they got there by working their butts off to beat more talented teams on their way there. Mm -hmm. And then, and then 2020 
stub their toe against a really, really, really great team uh, that Tampa had, um, you know, and, and Tom Brady had a great year. Stubbed their toe there, didn't quite make it. 2021, to me, felt inconsistent at best and downright flat at times. Uh, sometimes really exciting and, and cool, but but flat a lot of the rest of the year. And you get to the end of the season, they have burned up all the money, burned up all tomorrow's money, and the only thing they could do was start the rebuild, even though they had Aaron Rodgers there. And he'd agreed to come back, which, which is... I, I, I think the, the second key thing you have to look at is that you bring back Aaron Rodgers, who is, has agreed to come back for an unknown amount of time. He doesn't know if he's going to be here for one, two, three more years, probably somewhere in that in that range, probably not four more years, but one, right. two or three, probably. And they have had to, as a, as a part of that, incorporate more of Aaron Rodgers into the building of the team. And you look at even just a couple of days ago, the decision to release Juwan Winfrey and bring him back on the practice squad. And a lot of folks immediately compared it to the Jake Kumro situation in 2020, which we know was the, the last straw between a fraught relationship between LaFleur and Gudekunst. And yet it's not the same thing. It's not deja vu. It's, this is the next phase in our relationship is, yeah, you made this decision in 2020 that I didn't agree with and you didn't consult me about it. And it hurt our relationship to the point where I wasn't sure I could stay here anymore. Mm-hmm. Now this year, instead you make a very similar move, but you make it with me in the conversation, talking to me about it ahead of time, explaining the rationale. Rogers is very comfortable with the decision. And he, um, you know, he said, look, I feel for Juwan. I think he's a talented kid, but I understand the rationale behind this move. And he he basically endorsed it and said that it was the right decision um, to keep their priorities straight. Yeah. And I think, you know, another part of it is this. Uh, there is a big difference between the Kumaro situation a few years back and Juwan Winfrey. Winfrey was fighting for the seventh spot on the depth chart if there was even going to be a seventh spot on the depth chart. Whereas in Aaron Rodgers' mind, at least, uh, Jay Kummerow was like the third or fourth best receiver at the time that he was released. You're talking about a whole different setup with regard to that. So, Well, and, and <laughs> the 2022 Jake Kummerow is not Jawan Winfrey. It's Randall Cobb and... Rogers or maybe Sammy keep... Watkins, yeah. Well, yeah, either one, but yeah, that, that's true. So he's got two guys there, um, and I think especially Randall Cobb. Look, we know Goody didn't really want Randall Cobb back here, um, but he's still here, um, you know, despite the fact that some guys like Jawan Winfrey um, are getting buried, um, and that that probably really is not Goody's preference, but he's giving that to Rogers, and that – that is, I think, a, a huge sign of growth from Goody, and it seems to go a long way for Rodgers, that he's like, look, thank you for giving me Cobb. Thank you for giving me Sammy. Um, and thank you for explaining why you want to get rid of Jawan. I agree that, uh, you know, we, we should give a guy like Toure that extra chance. And he even said, 
that that he actually understands and agrees with that decision because as he pointed out he wasn't very good as a rookie either and right. took some time to develop yeah yeah and and again i think that shows a certain amount of maturity you know rogers could have just gotten angry and just said hey i wanted juan here uh but he took a step back and he looked at the big picture and i think that you know is to his credit and you know now it becomes a question of where do we go from here? The fact that Winfrey was able to be signed to the practice squad probably helped a little bit. And now, you know, I I think it was the right move given the fact that you're talking about the seventh guy on the depth chart to keep the player with more upside and more of a ceiling rather than the guy who might be able to help out a little bit. Now, how many plays do you expect on offense, your seventh receiver to play over the course of the season? Yeah, and and Rogers was quick to point out that you really have if you're gonna stick it stick around as the seventh receiver, and not be a draft pick, you have to be killing it on special teams. And and I think that was an acknowledgement that Juwan Winfrey did not do enough on special teams to justify that. Um, let's look at the the four things that we think that they had to do roster wise. Um, this off season as a result of uh, both how last year went. Um, and the uh, Devontae trade, which obviously was a huge, huge um, con- defining feature of the offseason. So uh, the first thing was they had to reload the receiver room. How good of a job do you think they did at reloading the receiver room? They uh, retained Lazard. Uh, they uh, had Cobb agree to a, uh, a pay cut. They signed Sammy Watkins, and then they drafted three guys, two of whom um, you would realistically expect to have some sort of a role on offense. And it looks like one of those guys, Romeo Dobbs has already emerged as showing potential for this season. How good of a job do you think they did at rebuilding the wide receiver room? Ah, boy, I, I would give them a C plus, maybe a B minus something in that range. Look, there is no obvious number one receiver on this roster. And you know, there really wasn't a lot of cap room to get that player under the circumstances. So the choice really became, do you go out and sign the big ticket receiver or do you bring back Campbell and Douglas and, and, and fortify the defense? They made the choice. I think it was the right choice, but if I'm looking at the top receiving cores in the NFL right now, this is not in the top 20, maybe Um, not even the top 25. Looking at uh, Sammy Watkins as a free agent, um, how, how do you feel about that signing as an attempt to um, replace MVS, uh, who left? Low risk, high reward. Uh, you know, it's a one-year prove-it deal. If he doesn't pan out or if he plays eight games and gets hurt, you didn't lose a lot, you didn't invest yeah. a lot, it could only help or be neutral. I don't think it's going to hurt. Yeah, and I, I, I certainly, um, you know, no question, uh, the risk is there that that you could lose him to injury right away, um, maybe even for a substantial amount of time, for sure. That's a thing. But Sammy was on my short list of receivers that I wanted to see them bring in. Uh, so I was pleased when they signed him. What about the draft picks? Do you think that uh, that drafting Christian Watson essentially as, you know, maybe not a first round receiver, but they tried to get him in the first round. And he was basically like uh round one B how's that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> round one B 
uh, Christian Watson. And then uh, in the fourth round, Romeo Dobbs. How do you think they did at, at drafting those guys? Uh, you know, I, I think draft wise, they did just fine. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is it's unlikely you're going to get a pro bowl performance from any of these rookies, uh, Dobbs, you know, made some really noticeable plays throughout the preseason, throughout training camp, but he also made some mistakes like rookies tend to do. I I think, you know, does he have the potential to become a a pro bowl player down the road or does Watson probably, but is he going to get there, you know, this year? Probably not. So uh, I think they did well. Three players made sense. I like, you know, what was it? Second, fourth and seventh rounds. But as far as the short term is concerned, they, they, the draft took care of the future. I don't know how much of an impact it'll have on this season. Yeah. One of the things that uh, we were quick to say after the draft was that we thought Dobbs might be a more immediate impact just because he was a little bit more of a pro ready um, receiver. And it, it certainly is looking that way, even though, um, at the time of the draft, we we acknowledge that Christian Watson probably had the higher ceiling long term to become, you know, to have the potential to become like a, a true superstar. Um, Christian Watson was not my first choice to draft there at the beginning of the second round. I really wanted George Pickens. I really wanted Alec Pierce. Uh, we'll have to see what Christian Watson can do. It's disappointing that um, he had to miss basically the entire preseason um, after having to have a little bit of cleanup surgery done on his knee. And you'd like to see him uh, maybe at some point this year, but I don't think that their plans this year revolve around needing to get contributions from Christian Watson specifically. I think that they do need to get contributions from some of the young guys, whether that's Amari Dobbs, Watson or Toure. They have to get contributions. I think from one of those guys and they have to get enough out of Lazard Cobb and Watkins you know, is that hodgepodge enough to get the job done? My gut says yes, but I think it's close. So, uh, I, you know, if, if a C grade is average uh, and you gave him what a C plus, I, I think I think C plus probably feels about right to me. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And health is going to have a lot to do with this as well. I think keeping those veterans healthy uh, and and Lizard keeping them and, all and the Watkins field. are both certainly injury prone at this point. Cobb and Watkins have long injury histories and they're going to well, need. Yeah, I, I said, I said Lazard, but, but Cobb as well. You're right. Yeah. They're going to need at least one of them on the field pretty much at all times. I think yes. Yes. Uh, they don't need them both at all times, but they're going to need at least one of them at all times uh, in order to make this ship go. And uh, I think we're going to see a lot more reliance on the running backs in the receiving game. And I think if Tunyon is healthy, tight end as well will be more involved. All right. The other thing that they had to do was rebuild the offensive line. So they shipped Lucas Patrick and Billy Turner off. Um, I was fine with both of those moves. Um, making both moves, I should say, I, I was fine with both of those moves individually. Making both of them together made me a little bit nervous, but I was more or less ready to move on from Billy Turner. And... Had we kept Billy Turner, I would have had no qualms at all about shipping off Lucas Patrick. I was nervous about finding a Lucas Patrick replacement. We seem to have found that in Zach Tom. And then maybe we've we've even found a Lucas Patrick replacement in Jake Hansen um, over the course of this offseason. 
Um, but they did draft Sean Ryan. Doesn't look like he's going to make any contributions in year one. We'll have to see if he can uh, break the uh, Packers third round draft pick curse. <laughs> we'll see. Hasn't done anything yet, but we'll see. We don't need him to contribute right away. We do need Bakhtiari or Jenkins to come back sooner rather than later. We need both back by the playoffs, I think. And if you're looking at the rest of the offensive line, um, Josh Myers is back. He's healthy. Finally, we're going to need to see more out of him than we have seen up until this point. I, 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 he has a reputation of being a really, really good center. I think that he right now has not earned that in my eyes, but I have not given up on him. I'm still very excited about what he can become. I just haven't seen that out of him yet. Personally, John Runyon, um, you know, no, no, uh, concerns there. And then at right guard and right tackle, you got this big question mark. We've talked about a bunch, you know, what combination of Zach, Tom, Yash, Nyman, Royce, Newman, uh, Jake Hansen, do we think probably ends up as the right guard and, and right tackle still remains to be seen. I think that, I think that, uh, it's probably pretty fluid, even in the, the mind of, uh, Adam Stenovich and Matt LaFleur. So we'll see what they or, and, and Luke Buckus, Luke Buckus. Yeah. Uh, and, and see, uh, see what they end up rolling out there in week one overall. How do you, how do you think the offensive line rebuild went, especially given that right now we have huge questions about the health of Jenkins and Bakhtiari still. Uh, I, I would give the rebuild a solid B at this point, but it does depend a lot on getting at least one of them back early and both of them back for the playoffs as far as, you know, taking that next step. So if you think that the job they did was a B and we both acknowledge that they, you know, the, the injuries to their two preferred starting tackles that is out of their hands. All right. What, what could they have done to make this an A in your mind? Uh, you know, I don't know if they could based on the salary cap, uh, restrictions that they had and, and, and based on the way this team is built, you know, I think they did very well with the parameters they had, but you know, they weren't about to sit there and sign some big name. So I I think what they did made sense. It was logical, uh, but it just wasn't a huge difference maker. So um, we have two more off-season goals that we think that they attempted to accomplish, and I'm not hitting the most important one yet. So I'm okay. gonna save that for last. But we're gonna hit on one one last little one, and that is in terms of fortifying the defense. Uh, they made uh, additions at defensive line and middle linebacker, which are two positions that have been very much neglected on this roster for uh, numerous years. Um, I don't consider signing Christian Kirksey, uh, you know, as any kind of a, a, a meaningful step. So um, more or less, do we think that they did the very best that they could have to um, continue to build and improve this defense? Or do you think that there was more available for them to do without drastically damaging um, a, a different part of the roster? Do you think that they did the best they could? I think they did. I think they put more emphasis on those two positions, you know, using a first round pick, you know, Kenny Clark's the last defensive lineman that was drafted uh, in the first round. And, and as far as inside linebacker, uh, 
you got to go all the way back, I believe, to Nick Barnett because A.J. Hawk was originally drafted as an outside linebacker and then moved inside. It's been a long time. So I, I, I like the way they sort of rebuilt it, and I'm going to include bringing back Devondre Campbell and signing mm-hmm. Jerron Reed yes. into that equation. Yeah, and, and you know, if you look at the overall defensive roster, obviously you like your two starting edge rushers, um, and then you like your two starting safeties, but if you if you were to say what are really the key strengths of this defense well this the the interior defensive line has to be one of the best in all of football um and then the linebackers you feel like this is probably the best linebacker duo in football i mean maybe elsewhere in the league there's a rookie that we don't know about who's about to pop and and really make a huge impact you know in, in the way that uh, uh the 2020 linebackers did for uh tampa but this this sure feels like a strength. And the fact that you got Chris Barnes, who basically was a starting uh, linebacker for us for a couple of years, is, you know, no, no higher than your linebacker three. That makes you feel really darn good. Uh, so cornerback, defensive line and inside linebacker, really stellar. We have just a couple minutes left. So let's let's touch on the thing everybody's been waiting for. <laughs> Special teams was a disaster last year. It's been a disaster for certainly basically the entirety of my lifetime, but I'm not um, nearly as old as you are, Gil. When was the last (laughs) time that you recall special teams really not being a a massive liability? Don't answer that. It's a rhetorical question. What do you think about the 2022 uh, offseason attempt to rebuild the special teams? So we got we brought in a whole bunch of of guys shipped off what, like 20 22 players from last year's roster, um, which included a bunch of guys who were making huge contributions on special teams, whether you liked it or not, Warren Burks and Ty Summers and Henry Black, um, uh, Sean Davis. All right, you look at at the bottom of our roster this year, who you expect are going to be massive special teams players. I, I I can pick out four guys immediately really five guys immediately who I think are almost exclusively on this team because of what they can do for special teams. You mm-hmm. got the tight end, Tyler Davis, much maligned. Nobody likes him on offense right now, um, but he has a roster spot almost exclusively because of what he does on special teams. And he's got the physical um, tools that they want to keep developing for offense, but he's a special teamer. John Ford defensive tackle we think is basically exclusively a special teamer for right now. Uh, new addition, Rudy Ford that they just signed a couple days ago, safety um, special teams ace from Jacksonville. Goody was really excited to bring him in. He called him one of the best gunners in the NFL. That's exciting. Um, he's got blazing fast speed. I think if you get a little bit better directional punting from Pat O'Donnell and um, get the gunner down the field real quick, I think maybe you have a chance to, uh, start to limit some of those huge gashes uh, that have just been tearing us to shreds um, on, on those punt returns. Uh, Dallin Levitt, we know, is is pretty much only a special teamer. And then, you know, uh, pick like a half of Isaiah McDuffie and half of Keyshawn Nixon, because I think that they both offer more on, on defense um, than the other guys we listed could play, um, uh, you know, as starters. But McDuffie, Nixon um, going to be big special teams contributors. What do we think about this? They shipped off Steve Wartell. Uh, they shipped off uh, Corey Bohorquez. I think this is the second year in a row. They have shipped off a punter who was um, good, not great, but really not the big liability that, you know, necessarily other than maybe as a holder, 
got Pat O'Donnell in here. Still questions about Mason Crosby as a kicker. Finally, we don't have um, somebody who has no idea what they're doing coordinating special teams. I think I think uh, we were shocked from day one that they promoted the assistant of Sean Menenga and Ron Zook to come in and, and keep leading special teams. What do you think, man? Well, I wrote about that for Cheesehead TV on Thursday of this week, and I think they're trying. Whether or not it pays off, I think it's going to take time. You're trying to change a culture. You're trying to change more than a decade of uh, below average to terrible special teams play. I like the fact that they're drafting for special teams, that they're keeping players on the roster with special teams in mind, that they hired a uh, you know a coordinator with two decades worth of experience. But what we saw in the preseason was not pretty, and it's going to take some time to change the culture, change the results. If they can get to, let's say, 22nd or 21st in the league this year in special teams, I would consider that progress and a successful step forward. But I got to see it first. In total, we think there's a lot of lessons that the Packers took away from the 2021 season and it's disappointing fizzle of an end. I'm curious what you guys think, you, the listeners. Uh, do you think that the Packers learned the correct lessons from 2021? Um, do you think there was more out there that they should have been focusing on and thinking about? I know a lot of fans are are very upset that they still um, don't have a, um, you know, let alone the fact that they don't have a true number one wide receiver anymore. Um, you know, fans were concerned about the lack of a, dynamic wide receiver duo here. And now we really have gone backwards from that. I'm not saying that's a big priority for me, but I know a lot of the listeners and fans out there do feel that way. What do you guys think about the, the uh, list of lessons and, and goals that we came up with that we think that they were trying to learn from and accomplish this off season. I think there's anything that we missed that they were trying to do. I think there's anything the Packers themselves missed. They should have been trying to do. Uh, curious what you guys think. And, and overall, Gil, I'll, I'll leave us with your, your thoughts on, on this question here. Do you think that the Packers have made themselves a better football team through the course of the 2022 offseason? Potentially. Uh, I, I, it's not there yet. I think given the salary cap restrictions and the situation they had with Devontae and with Aaron Rodgers and everything else, I think they did pretty well. I think that they have the chance to remain one of the elite teams in the NFC. But what frightens me is this is a top-heavy team. The depth is very, very questionable. And they could not withstand the, the injuries they had last year. If we get a repeat of that, it could be you know, a step down as a result of that. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think that if you look at the starters across the board, this is a better overall roster than you had last year. Uh, certainly by the end of the year, uh, maybe not specifically the playoff game because you, it's hard to even describe who all the starters were. Cause you had just a pile of guys brand new back from IR, you know, is Darius a starter is Jair a starter in that final game. Uh, you know, who are your, your starting offensive linemen? It's, it, it's hard to even 
quantify exactly who you think the starters were at that point, but still, I think the overall uh, depth of the roster took a step back, but also there's a lot more uh, draft picks on this roster than there, than there were a year ago. We have 11 draft picks um, from this year who all made the roster and, whether you think that that is um, uh, the right decision or not, I tend to lean a little bit more toward yes. The fact of the matter is I think the Packers have pretty much stopped trying to spend tomorrow's money in the same way that they did in 2021 and were unwilling to give up the last remaining currency they had, which was draft picks. They didn't trade away any of their, any more of their draft picks other than the one they gave up for Randall Cobb last year um, to go out and get veterans and then one, you know, they, they were very intentional about trying to create more draft picks um, for 2022. Uh, you know, you look at uh, trading back in the fifth round to get an extra seventh round pick. Um, and Goody even spoke to the fact that he felt like the guys at the back of this draft were more valuable than they have been in in past years because of of the COVID pandemic. And then all of them made the roster, you know, and he is really sticking with rolling with these guys that um, he spent a lot of long time scouting. He's trying to create value long-term for the team uh, and, and turn the draft picks he was able to acquire into the team of tomorrow. And, and it, whether you agree with that or not, I think that's clearly what he's trying to do. So we'll have to see how that pays off. But uh, for this year, I agree. I think you start the season with um, maybe a, a half step, back from where you were, but maybe there's more potential for it to grow over the course of the season and become something better than they were at the end of last season. Again, you're walking that razor thin wire there though, of the depth that they typically have on this roster beyond the starters is usually pretty good. And this year I would say it doesn't at many positions, it doesn't stack up to uh, what it usually is. And so you are a few injuries away from, really maybe um, struggling to put together the kind of, of team that you want on the field. So any final thoughts from you, Gil, or should we get out of here? No, I, I think we've covered a lot and uh, just really looking forward to the start of this season. I am ramped up and ready to go. Yeah, we'll be right back here next week to talk about the Minnesota Vikings and preview the game as best we can. It's always hard at the beginning of last year. Hopefully we'll do better this year than we did trying to analyze uh, what the Packers versus Saints game was going to be. Uh, but you can follow us on Twitter at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions. You can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Not